0: you have your Bibles today, would you turn with me to the 14th chapter of the Gospel of Luke? And I want to read beginning in verse 25, reading through verse 33. That's Luke chapter 14, verse 25 through 33. When you found that place in sacred scripture, would you mind standing in the honor of the reading of God's Word? And there went a great multitude with him and he turned and said unto them, if any man come to me, hate not his father and his mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me, cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower, Sitteth not down first, and count the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it. Thus happily, after he had laid the foundation, and is not able to finish, all that behold it began to mock him, saying, This man began to build, and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first, and consulteth whether he is able with ten thousand, to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000. Or else while, he, uh, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an emissary and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you, that forsaketh not all that he has, cannot be my disciple. May the Lord add his richest blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. You know, we stand in the the precipice of a new year, and we can't believe that only four days we will be in 2016. Now, for someone who is seven years old, it seems like it takes forever that our next birthday will get here. But for some of us who are 70 and more... Those birthdays come at least two or three times a year. It just passes away in a hurry. But we must remember that life is a marathon and not a mad dash to the finish. So, Jesus, talking to us here in the 14th chapter of Luke, reminds us that we must count the cost or chart the course. If we're going to make it in this life. Now, what can we do to plan our journey and we, that we need to finish well in th- 2016? Jesus reminds us that planning is very, very important. Several years ago, my wife and I decided that we would take an extended vacation, and we were going to go to California in a motorhome. Now, if you believe that, and along with that, we had three kids, well, three children. Sometimes they ate like kids, uh, and we decided, well, we couldn't stop at every restaurant or every fast food place and, and afford to eat like that, and so we would—we took several weeks of planning and mapping out our journey, and we stuffed every cupboard and and cabinet with uh, food. You see, with three hungry mouths, or five hungry mouths to feed, it was going to be quite expensive. And so there were, every cabinet was full of food, and we, had, we mapped out everything. Now, I'm not a GPS person. Sometimes uh, uh, people who are in this modern day who have the GPS, uh, you just talk to that lady on the GPS all the time. I don't like to talk to her. She doesn't know where I'm going. And besides, she's always saying, uh, turn around, make a U-turn, recalculating. And and she and I don't get along too well. So I like a map. I like to look at a map and see where I'm going. I like to chart my own course. And I, I like to map out where I'm going to stop. And, I plan very well when I'm going on a trip. Now, if we'll plan like that for a three-week trip, why would we not plan for a lifetime? And especially, why would we not plan for the coming year? So I want to suggest to you that we need to chart our course when we're planning for the future. And by the way, did you know that 2016 is our future? Whether we realize it or not, not a single one of us have lived a day of 2016. In fact, none of us have lived a day beyond the 27th day of December 2015. So everything is in our future. So what are we going to do as we plan for our future? Well, first of all, we need to take along the road map. As I said, I needed a roadmap. map. I, I like to know where I'm going. And if we're going to go into the future with the Lord, we need to take a road map. And there's, He has left us a road map. We call that the Bible, the Word of God. And the Bible is our roadmap for living. In fact, the Apostle Paul reminded young Timothy that uh, he had the holy scriptures that was able to make him wise unto salvation. The apostle Peter said that God has left us everything that pertains to life and holiness. Where do we get such an apparatus? Well, it's called the Bible. We need to take along with us the Bible, the Word of God, if we're going to chart our course for the future. The Bible, first of all, charts our course for the journey. We need to know where we're going. Uh, what is our destination? Do you know where you're going? First John 5, 11, and 12 says, If you have the Son, you have life. And if you do not have the Son, you do not have life. John 14 and 6 says, No one comes to the Father but by me. So the Bible tells us where our possible destination will be. If we have the Son of God in our life, ruling and reigning in our hearts, we know where we're going. We know what our future holds. The Word of God charts our course. But then the the Word of God also changes our nature. Because it is through uh, the, the knowledge of the Lord Jesus that we have a change of nature. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passing away. Behold, all things are becoming new. Now, that changes our nature. We have to have a changed nature in order to be able to successfully chart the course. The Word of God changes our nature. It also corrects our course because we sometimes get off the the right path. Several years ago when the Space Administration was launching all of the satellites, I was watching TV one day and I noticed that they came on and said they had to have a mid course correction. You see, when they launch a rocket and it it flies into outer space, it doesn't always stay true to the course. Sometimes it varies off depending on conditions, and they have to have a mid-course correction. Just a tiny bit off of the direction of this rocket, as it reaches out into outer space, it will be miles and miles off course. So we have to have a mid-course correction. How do we correct our course? Well, the Word of God tells us how to live. It shows us where we're wrong and where we're right. It shows us what God wants out of each of our lives. So the Word of God corrects our course. If that ship or that rocket gets off course, it has to be corrected. The the carpenter uses a level and a square to make sure that the building is correctly constructed. The Word of God is our compass. It is our level and our square, so we use it and our life will not get off course. But oftentimes we do get off course. How do we come back to the right course? It's in the study of God's Word. The Word of God also clears our vision. God's Word shows us where we are and where we ought to be. How do we know what God wants us to do? We find it in the pages of God's Word. We find it in our communication with the Holy Spirit. How do we find out what God wants us to do? It's in His Word. If you want to know the will of God for your life, find the Word of God for your life. God's Word is God's will. Sometimes we forget that we're not always uh, clear in our vision. So God's Word clears our vision and shows us where we ought to be and where we are. Take along that road map, God's Word. Also, we need to take along with us the supply line. The supply line for our journey into the future is prayer. What supplies our daily needs is prayer. Prayer often keeps us, first of all, it kept Daniel clean. He could defy the decree of a heathen king because he was a man of prayer. God's Holy Spirit was with him kept him fresh by prayer and gave him courage and how much uh, men of prayer need to stand in conviction and courage today. We have too much of this go along to get along attitude. God wants men and women who are willing to stand in his presence and in his power. And we need that. God kept Daniel clean through prayer. God kept David close through prayer. We read in Psalms 55 and 17, David uttered these words, evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry out and he shall hear my voice. You say, my, David must have been close to God. Well, go back over, over to chapter 51. Go back to 51 where David prayed Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this transgression. I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is ever before me. You see, sometimes we want to get to Psalms 55, but we have to go to Psalms 51 first. It's only when we confess our sins and only when we uh, repent of our sins that we can get, get close to God. That's when we can go to God and say evening and morning and at noontime. Well, I pray to the Lord, and he will hear my prayer. You've got to be clean before God hears that prayer. And prayer kept Jesus committed. Many, many times Jesus was tempted, not just in the wilderness, but tempted because many, many people came to him and said, we're going to make you king. We're going to set you aside as king. They saw his miracles, and they knew that he was powerful, and he could stand against the Roman Empire. But Jesus did not take the bait. He did not take the bait. It was by prayer that kept him committed. And he prayed when he was popular, and he prayed when he was unpopular. He prayed at his baptism. He prayed at his temptation. And when he was busy, Uh, In the wee hours of the morning, he prayed. When he fed the 5,000, he prayed. When he called dead men back to life, he prayed. In Gethsemane, he prayed. On the cross, he prayed. When he cried, it is finished. If Jesus, who could steal storms and create worlds, needed to pray, how much more do we need to pray? Oftentimes, we minimize our prayer life. And our prayer life is very, very important if we're going to chart the course for the future. But also, we need to take along our service record. You remember I said I was going to take a trip in a motor home. My gracious. I took that thing down to the mechanic and I had him to go through it with a fine-tooth comb. I wanted to make sure that I didn't get out there on some West Test, uh, Texas uh, a desert and break down. So I had him to go through that thing with everything he possibly could find that would be wrong and to repair it because I wanted to leave this place knowing that I could get to my destination. Well, we need to have a service record too because you see what's happening. The world is looking at us and they want to know if we're for real. And we need to have a service record. If the world could look at your record, what would it say? Would your service record speak that you are in love with the Lord Jesus? That he's the most important thing in your life? When the world looks at your record, what do they see? Paul spoke of his gospel. Now, I didn't mean that Paul's gospel was was the the, the gospel, but it meant that he was living out the gospel in his own personal life. And so when the world looks at us, do they see see us living out the gospel? When they see our lives, do they, they know that we are in love with Christ? Is our record our walk with God being weighed by the world? Yes, it is. The world is weighing our record, our walk with Christ. Jesus said to his disciples, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for the other. Let me ask you a question. How high is your love meter today? When that love meter registers, how high is that love meter you see, there's a lot of controversy in the world today. There are a lot of people that are uh, uh, having problems with one another. But the Bible says that you'll know that you are His disciples when you have love one for the other. You know there are people who claim to know Christ that would never desecrate the American flag, but yet they have no commitment to the Church of the Lord Jesus. I'm I'm suspicious about that, aren't you? I don't know about you, but all of the unfaithfulness I see in the church today, it makes me wonder, how close are we walking to the Lord? The world is going to judge us whether we want want them to or not. You may think that the world doesn't look at you, but in, in fact, you're probably the only Bible that some people will ever read. They're not going to come and pick up the Bible, and they're not going to come to church. They're looking at your life and at my life. And if our walk with God is not what it should be, the world will be the first to know. Now, we can play little games in the church if we want to. You know, I'm more spiritual than you are. But the world knows the difference. They can see it in our life. They can see it in our love. They can see it in our walk. And they're going to be looking. And our separation from the world will be measured daily. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6, 17, Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. The difference between a faithful believer and a backslider A faithful believer is one who is controlled by Christ and a backslider is one who is self-controlled. That's the only difference. So how, who controls your life today? Does the world look at you and see you living a clean, pure and holy life? Or do you look just like the rest of the world? The world will know. You need to take along your service record on your journey. And then you need to take along your checkbook. Here's a young fella who had never been further west than Louisiana. And I was going to California. Now, I heard that the gas prices were terrifically high in California. And so we counted our pennies. We wanted to make sure we had enough money to buy gas to get that motor home from here to California. Now, I didn't expect my church to pay for that. I didn't expect a good neighbor to pay for that. I knew I was going to have to bear the cost. And so I planned well. I planned to make sure that I had enough to get to California and back because I wanted to get back. What do we we think that we owe the Lord? Some of us saying Jesus paid it all, and we put a period right there. But I want to remind you that whoever wrote that song had, did not have a period there. It said, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. You see, we need to take along our, our checkbook or sharing. We need to give God our time. The Lord's day is set aside for three purposes. Number one, to rest. Now, some of us say, well, we don't get any rest. We work six days a week, preacher, so we can't come to church. we got to rest on Sunday. We're just going to play 18 holes of golf or we're going to go fishing, but we're going to rest. Now, you, you compute that for me. I don't understand that. Resting to me is putting my feet up in my chair and leaning back and getting a snooze. That's resting for me. First of all, the Lord's day was created for rest. It's not a day off. Whether you realize it or not, if you belong to Christ, you don't have a day off. Secondly, The Sabbath was created to worship. Man is a religious being, and life can never be complete until we have worshiped. Life can never be complete until we have worshiped. What is is worship? Worship is a time where we re energize our spirits. How can we go for weeks and months and, yea, even years without worship? Now, I have a different definition for a lot of people for worship. Worship is not activity. You see, a lot of time we describe worship as we crank up the band, crank up the microphones, and crank up our energies, and that's worship. I have a different definition. Worship is coming into the presence of Almighty God and standing in awe of Him. Sometimes it causes me to crank up the microphone. Sometimes it causes me to crank up the voice. But that's not what worship is. You see, worship is alone with God. Whatever it causes, whatever emotion it emits out of you is yours personally. But worship is not just activity. But the Sabbath day was created to worship. And then the Sabbath day was created for service. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said one day, he said, We can never face man. We should never face man before we face God. We should never face man before we face God. We need to start our day with communication with God. We need to give God our time. Also, we need to give God our tithe. Uh Uh-oh. Listen to what the Word of God says. Leviticus twenty-eight thirty says, "The tithe is the Lord; it is holy unto the Lord." Well, that's Old Testament. Well, let's flip over New Testament. First Corinthians sixteen two: Let every one of you lay by him store, as the Lord has prospered, prospered, that there be no gathering when I come. So somehow it got from the Old Testament over to the New Testament. I've heard people say, well, I, I don't believe in the tithe. Well, I'll tell you what. Old Testament is 10%, New Testament is 100 Now, which one do you want to do? 10 or 100? The Bible says it all belongs to Him anyhow. And yet he lets us keep some of it for our own personal use. So we need to give him our tithes. No man is spiritually strong until he has has learned to give to the Lord. I wonder about some folks. I've had a lot of conversations and it makes me wonder. How can we possibly say that we love God and then spend all of our income on ourselves? How can you say that? We need to give God our tithe. That's the place where it starts. That's not the place where it ends. That's the place where it tithe. Our tithes and our offerings Then we needed to give God our talents. The story of the talents reminds us that God has given every one of us a talent over which we're just stewards, we're just managers. It does not belong to us, we're just a manager of it. God holds us accountable for how we use those talents, He expects our talents to be used for His glory. And so we need to give God His time, give God His talents, and we need to give God His tithe. That's what we need to share. That's the checkbook. I wonder if when I come to die, all my belongings are gathered together, I wonder if they're going to go through my check stubs. If they went through your check stubs, what would they find? What would they find? You say, well, preacher, I got a solution for that. I just do everything online. Well, what if they checked your computer? What would they find? Where is the bulk of your expenditures going? Is it going for you? for God. And then the last thing that I want to remind you in this story is that we need to prepare to complete our mission. In fact Jesus said a person would be foolish if they did not plan before they started building a tower. Because they'd be the laughing stock of the community if they started and only laid the foundation and then all of a sudden they couldn't complete it, they would be the laughing stock of the community. And if a king was going out to war, he would be foolish not to plan, make sure he could finish the task, complete the mission. You see, we got to complete the mission. Now, what is the mission? Well, when Jesus was about to leave his disciples, he said, All power is given unto me. Go into all the world and make disciples. That's our mission. That is our mission. To make disciples. Matthew 28, 19, and 20 is our commission. Now this year is almost gone. How did we do? How did we do? Last year, at the end of 2014, you said, Oh man, this year is going to be a time when I'm going to really do what God wants me to do, I'm going to share my faith more, I'm going to be a stronger Christian, I'm going to... How did you do? How did you do? Now we're standing at 2015, looking over in the horizon to 2016. How are we going to do it? D.L. Moody, the great evangelist of yesteryear, ran into a guy one time who was just bubbling over. He said, for 20 years I've been on the mountaintop with God. D.L. Moody said, Sir, how many folks have you taken up there with you? You see, it's not how high we jump and how loud we scream. But it's how straight when we walk, hit the ground. It makes the difference. If you're not taking anybody with you, then your life is in vain. How many folks have you taken to the mountain with you? Peter and John was on their way to worship. They encountered a man who was begging, and he wanted some money. Peter and John said, Silver and gold have we none, but such as we have give I unto thee in the name of Jesus. Get up and walk. Man got up and walked. You see, what the world needs is not more money. What the world needs is Jesus. And we need to be giving our world Jesus. You say, oh, Brother Paul, I'm just not able to go on a mission trip. Well, who said anything about a mission trip? Across the street is a mission trip. Down the road is a mission trip. In the grocery store is a mission trip. Wherever you are is a mission trip. Make disciples. That's your commission. That's what God commanded us to do. If this were your last year, what would be your record? And it could be. You see, this time last year, I was recovering from major surgery. It could have been my last year. We got some young, strong, healthy deacons, but it could be their last year. We got some vibrant, vibrant Sunday school teachers, but it could be their last year. You see, God has not promised us even tomorrow. We do not have the promise of December twenty-eighth. The only promise we have is today. If this were your last year, what would be your record? Some of us will not be here next year. I know I look out on this congregation. y'all look fairly healthy. but do you know that, but this time next year, when we stand here, some of you will be gone. And you won't just have moved your letter either. If this were your last year, what would be your record? Now, if this old preacher can give any advice today, let me, let me give you some advice. Don't go anywhere unprepared. Don't go anywhere You see, if you have not prepared to meet your maker, don't go unprepared. That's why Jesus came. Jesus said, I've come to seek and save that which is lost. And you don't have to go anywhere unprepared. You can get prepared anytime. But you must prepare. There may be some people in this congregation that you've come because your family invited you to come today and and, and you felt like once a year is enough time to go to church, and you're here. Let me invite you to get prepared, because this could be your last year. And if I'm gone next year, somebody can get up and say, well, Brother Paul told us it might be our last year. And don't you go unprepared now. Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly in heart, and I shall give you rest to your souls. Don't go prepared, unprepared. Some of you have been putting off doing the will of God in your life, and you know what he wants you to do, and you've been putting it off for years. Don't you go out here unprepared without saying, Yes, Lord. Whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do it. Some of you may be here today and you've been coming to church for a few weeks and you know this is the place where God wants you to be. Well, why are you leaving without being prepared? Today is the day for you to do what God wants you to do. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray right now if there is a person in this building that is unprepared that you might help them to know that you've made preparation for them. First of all, you've purchased eternal life. That they might have eternal life by knowing Christ is Lord and Savior. Lord, you've charted the path for them. You've opened up the way. You've said to them, I'll be with you to the ends of the earth. I'll never leave you, nor I'll never forsake you. you prepared all that we need for life and holiness. And the Holy Scriptures are able to make us wise into salvation, but Lord, many people are not listening. So I pray, dear Father, if there are decisions that ought to be made in this congregation today, that you might help us to do it. Because we do not have the promise of even tomorrow. Lord, may your will be done and be accomplished in this service in the name of Christ I pray.